Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is episode 101, 101 of Best of the Nest, (laughs) the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. We've had 100 conversations in the last year, Marjorie. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> is conversation 101 and this and I think this is probably the most personal conversation that we've had so far. I think so. So it's been um I know you were getting some some questions from people out in the world about we we missed a podcast along the way and we rarely do that. I don't know that we've ever done that. And it's been a tough it was a very tough January for me. So my uncle passed away in the beginning of January and then shortly thereafter my father passed away. Oh, and no. it's just been it's and 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 on top of that, I just got back from Florida, Elizabeth, where we went on a family tour. All of us met, my two sons, my husband and I, because we're pretty much all in different locations, miraculously met up in Orlando and did a full circle through Florida. Wow. Yeah, it it was actually very fun. So we went to see my husband's mother who is in her late 80s, who was not feeling well, but we hope she feels better now. And then we went over to see my husband's brother and sister, a sister-in-law, who are just the dearest people in the world. I adore them. And then about four minutes away from them is Ian's aunt and uncle. And Elizabeth, his uncle is 96 years old. No way. And he's just the funniest, cutest I mean, they're just adorable. They live on an estuary in Florida. So they have this sweet little house that just looks over this beautiful, even though it scares me because there are alligators everywhere, (laughs) this beautiful sort of marsh. And so we sat and we chatted with them for just a little bit because just a little bit. But his wife is, I think she's 89, Elizabeth. And they're just, she's just so alive and her posture, she stands up straight. She's perfectly fit and she's just so present. And it's so much fun when you meet somebody who's just had a great life and she's just filled with that energy of curiosity and, you know, she's, she still looks you in the eye like, what are you doing? Tell me about you. (laughs) She's just, she makes me laugh. I don't see her very often. I think the last time I saw her was about maybe 10 years ago but she's just she's wonderful so it was just this this amazing tour of life in a month previous that had been all about death and so it's just been quite difficult and you and I talked a little bit about my father in the past but I I don't think we've ever we never really talked very in depth about it and I think in episode 97 we were talking about choosing your family Mm -hmm. and I think it's such a difficult thing. It can be a difficult thing when you have a young family to decide what the boundaries of your life are going to be as you build your own nest. Right. And, you know, when my father passed away, I had not, I don't think I had seen him 
since the boys were about 12, so about 15 or 16 years. But really, he left this country when it sounds like kind of like he had to. He didn't have to leave the country. <laughs> he moved. He, to wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't, wasn't asked to leave. He wasn't asked to leave. But he left when <laughs> I was about 22. And it, I, I would say, and it's, it's, a, it's a weird word, we have been estranged since then. And I think it's a, it, it's a difficult thing to go through life with a father that's in this world, but you're not in relationship with him. And well, and it's so fascinating when you talk about this because you've shared a lot of stories about your dad over the times that we've talked and then and on this podcast. And your memories of him as a child are really pretty great. Yeah. I mean, was, at least the ones that you express. I mean, I know you don't you're not you're not spouting off the bad stuff all the no. time. No, um, and, but and you have but I yeah. know I believe that you have a collection of really wonderful memories of him. Yeah, and I'm I am so grateful for that. And I think, you know, one of the things that I cling to when he passed away, when you're estranged from somebody that you had loved very deeply, I was always curious about how am I going to feel when he passes away? Is there just going to be this enormous amount of shame? Is there going to be this enormous amount of pain? And I think my mom was very sweet in that. She would always say, you know, make sure you've righted that because you you don't want more to linger after. It was complicated enough in his life. You don't want more to linger in his death. And I've been in therapy, but I think one of the things he, when you say I cling to the good memories, I was very fortunate that there were a lot because there were a lot of chaotic memories as a child. My father was an alcoholic, but it's so when you say that to people, they get an image and that's fine. My father was funny and charming. And as I've said to you in the past, he was the perfect father for girls. I mean, I, would, I was I was a child in the 1970s, you know, just sort of the feminist movement was taking hold and all of those wonderful things for women were sort of starting. And my father was right there. And for any of us, the minute we expressed what we wanted to be, he he was just sort of an intellectual mentor. I had wanted, I when I was eight, I was pretty sure I wanted to be a lawyer. So he was feeding me books about the law. My sister, yeah. as a very young child, wanted to be a vet. She got a microscope, fourth grade. She had the most beautiful microscope. Anything we wanted to do, there was no limit to what his girls could do. And I think the complication of that is in the midst of that, there was a tumultuous marriage and drinking. And I've been in enough therapy to know that marriages are complicated. Right. I don't I don't put all the blame on my father and I don't put blame on my mother. That was their life. It was not going to be my life. And I I think what's what I what I take away in his death is really that I don't know. I'm just <laughs> you know, sometimes it's all sort of overwhelming. But it's he, complicated. It's complicated. And I think what's interesting to me, this the only sadness I have in his, well, the sadness, one of the sadnesses I have with his passing is the potential of what our family should have been if it had been uncomplicated. Mm-hmm. My sisters are all very bright. They've all done very well. We laughed a lot as a family. And I think this is the hard thing to reconcile, Elizabeth, is when I look back, my parents threw fabulous parties. <laughs> they really, I can remember one party in fifth grade. There were about 150 people there. It was a little no crazy. Way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were good party people. I mean, it, and so I think that's like the, the weird part when you look about their 30s and 40s now that I've passed through mine. And I think about, like, when did it, when did it? 
change? When did it change from being sort of fun and funny that mom and dad or just dad was drunk to, oh, God, dad's drunk? (laughs) And it's... And I, I'm not trying to make a cautionary tale for anybody. Oh, I think that's a good question, though, Marjorie. And I think that's really relatable. I think a lot of people who live with alcoholics, and I think a lot of people who are alcoholics wonder that. Yeah. When did it become funny, oh, hey, I'm drunk? Because, like, if I got drunk right now, it would be very amusing. Yes. It would just be funny. <laughs> Right. If you got drunk right now, it would be quite funny. I mean, that's funny. But there is a time when it shifts. And, and, you know, it's just like everything in life. We don't you know, you don't know. A lot of times we know the first, but we can't remember the last in our life. The last time that it was fun to be drunk. And then the time then from then on, it was a problem. Yeah. No, (laughs) you know, that's a lot. It is. And I think and I think. He passed away a couple of weeks ago, and it's just sort of, I just obviously am just ruminating. And I think that, that that's the lingering sadness that I have because he was highly functioning. He had his own business. He would just, he didn't, I, I have no emotional abuse or physical abuse in that sense. If there, if I wouldn't even call it, maybe it's abuse. I, I think probably what a better word for it would be, for me, the lingering effect of his alcoholism was anxiety. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up a little bit more anxious probably than I would have. And a certain amount of neglect in the sense that when he would binge, he was his pattern was binge drinking. When he would binge, he would disappear. Right. So we didn't see it in that sense. So I, I look back and I think I think every child of an alcoholic has a different story and different damage from what happened. Some so severe that they either replicate the alcoholic pattern or they have years of therapy to deal with the alcoholic patterns, as did I. I mean, I went to therapy because there are things that coming out of that sort of confusion and that bit of chaos, because obviously if somebody's an alcoholic, it's going to cause some chaos in a marriage, For which sure. is going to cause chaos in a family. And so, I and mean, you have to figure out what your normal should be. And that's, Because if that's, your normal is dysfunctional, and that comes from alcoholism or whatever. Yeah. And I, and every everybody's normal is slightly dysfunctional. I mean, you definitely <laughs> learn that when you go into therapy, <laughs> where you have someone going, okay, so that, here's here's the thing, that's not quite normal. That's not ideal. (laughs) So here's how we're going to work through it. That's, I mean, that's such a freeing thing about therapy is that you have someone else saying, just kind of giving you what is, what is the solid ground that you should be on and and helps you with that. And so for you, it was figuring out, okay, where, what is normal? And I know your relationship with alcohol has been something that you've always had to figure out. I'm very mindful. I'm very mindful. (laughs) I know. And I know because you've thought, I'm sure there's part of you where consciously or subconsciously that was, I don't want my children to grow up the same way that I grew up. No. So how am I going to do that? Yeah. I'm very mindful about that. But I think in terms of the therapy, that's where, and I would, I think for me, when my father left and he, my father moved to Mexico and had a very full, seemingly happy life down there, but was able, I think, in a way to disconnect from us. It's not that he said, don't ever come see me, don't ever. He was sad that we didn't go visit him. But at the same time, for me, I didn't want to go see more of the same. 
I didn't mm-hmm. want to be part of more of the same. And I, and I think that's, for me, where therapy was really, really helpful. And I think for anybody that's trying to figure out what's normal to allow in my life, what do I have to allow into my life? As I'm building my own new life, apart from that, what do I, what's acceptable to say no to? And that became something that I said no to. And it was a very passive letting go of him, I think, on both ends. And I think for me, and it comes with a, a, believe me, it comes with a great deal of pain. My 20s were not easy. (laughs) Yeah, It comes with a great deal of pain when you're saying goodbye to somebody who's still alive and who I loved. And I have, like you said, I have very good memories. I just didn't want that in my new family's life. So much so that I really stopped drinking from, it's always funny to me, I would probably stop drinking when I was 20 before I was legal. Um, <laughs> I stopped drinking at about 20 and then really didn't drink again till I was about 40. And part of it was I just wanted to make sure that none of that touched my children. Yeah. And it, it, it's, but it's, I think for anybody who struggles with estrangement or struggles with, and everybody gets to choose who they, I, th- I think sometimes we don't really understand that it's okay that you get to choose who's in your life and who's not you when you're a blood yeah. relation. Yeah. So, so it's been, but a- it comes at a cost. I mean, and that, that's something I think that's so important that you talk about that you were always working on trying to make sure that at the end of his life, which was going to come at some point, yeah, that there wasn't this feeling of regret, like, oh my gosh, I was doing this because I was holding on to something within me that was filled with anger or bitterness. You know, right. I just don't think you can come at that. Right. Estrangement gets so tricky because if you're coming at it from a place of, I hate this person or... I just don't know if you can make great decisions that way. Nope. I had, you know, and I've talked nope. about this before that I've, that in, in a therapy session, I was told you have to get neutral with what you don't want in order oh, to find what you want. That's so good. Say that again. You have to be neutral with what you don't want yep. in order to find what you want. And, and what that means, I mean, and how that relates and how that related to me at the time was relationship stuff. But if you're making decisions just based on, I want the opposite of what I don't want. And some Mm -hmm. of that even, Marjorie, you might even be able to look back and go, so what I don't want in my life is a party house and my kids to feel unsafe and unsettled because they don't know who's in our house and uh, how mom and dad are going to be during this event. So I want that safety for my kids. But is the answer, then we don't have a single drop of alcohol in this house? Right. I might argue... No, right? That maybe you weren't quite neutral with what you didn't want. So you were just going for the polar opposite of what you didn't want, which isn't what you want. I know that gets so complicated. No, 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 but you're you're exactly right about that, which is funny because that's part of why I started drinking again is I was noticing in my children. Which is a funny thing to say, Marjorie, part of why I started drinking again. Does sound bad, doesn't? It's just <laughs> really part of why I said but, I've got to wrap this bottle in a paper bag and take a swig. I gotta start drinking again. Here I'm going. I'm drinking. But here's the thing: it's exactly what you said, though, is because I it was a reaction 
not from a neutral place. And then what I started realizing, because my my husband doesn't drink, never did, and so it wasn't a wasn't a starter stop for him. Right. But what but what it did is what I was noticing in the kids is they were kind of exhibiting sort of a very tabooish attitude toward liquor, which I right. I think is equally dangerous. And so I started drinking again when they were in high school and tried to model really, really good responsible behavior. Not that, oh, this is so bad if you take a drink. Just right. liquor's liquor. Use it responsibly. Because the one thing I really wanted them to see is responsible behavior with drinking and driving. And so sure. when my son was getting his license, I would, if I had a glass of wine, no matter what, if I had any alcohol, he drove. Right. And that just became sort of our tradition. It's like, we're not going to take any chances. I had a glass of wine. You're going to drive. And so mm-hmm. part of it was, but but I think you're right. I think initially my reaction to, to do it that way, to not have a drop of liquor, was mostly because it was, it was a polar opposite, which I don't think good decision. I don't, I don't regret doing it. It was fine. But I think bigger decisions like that, you do have to get to a place of neutral, which I think I, I, I got to with my father. I think I did get to a place of neutral with him in that we were not causing each other pain. Yeah. I, 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 he came back when he came back. He came back because he was very sick. And all of my sisters, this was 10 or 15 years ago, all my sisters and I sort of rallied together. We got him the help that he needed. He got a lot of love from his daughters and a lot of care in that moment because I was so past anger. And I think part of it, too, was looking at him. He had built a life that he loved. He loved his life in Mexico. He was very happy there. He did. He, as he always had in Chicago, he was always very, I used to call him a hippie. I don't think he was really a hippie. But he was very Mm -hmm. much sort of a 1960s, I would say, Catholic in a way, which for if you're not Catholic, that wouldn't mean anything to you. But there was a, at least in the church that I grew up in, was very servant-based. And that's what brought my father happiness. Making money did not matter to my father at all. Having money did not matter to my father at all. And so when he moved to Mexico, he spent the last 30 years of his life building housing for the poor. Died penniless, which is what he always told me he would do. So in some ways, that also makes me feel like I had him the first half of his life, and then a whole different group of people had him his second half of his life. And he chose that. And the choice, the transition into that choice for him, and and I'm sure he was still drinking in Mexico. I'm not going to put too fine a point on all that. But that choice, that transitional choice that he made without really feeling and including his daughters was his choice. And and that transition was very painful for me. Now, mind you, I have three older sisters. They all have different relationships with them. My two oldest sisters would go to Mexico to see him. And, and, and that was fine. That was not my choice. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's very hard. But I think as I think of it, as I said, the only sadness comes. And this is, I think, for anybody who has young children. I, as Elizabeth knows, I try never to give advice because I don't think I have anything figured out. So I'm not giving any <laughs> advice here. None. Which is odd that you say that, but then you give the best advice. No. This is, you always preface it with that. And then your advice is the only advice that I ever use. So <laughs> I don't know. Well, thank you. But I would just say from where I am now, I look back at my own family. And we just all spent the weekend together as adults. 
and had a re- only one little fight, one little fight about directions. Overall, just a <laughs> well, really- directions. That's a gimme. Everybody <laughs> yeah, fights over directions. I I just think that I just I adore my boys. I just loving I love being around them, and so the sadness with my my family of origin only comes that they were. I adore my sisters. I loved my father so much. I love my mother so much. Without that piece, what would the family have looked like? Without right. the alcohol, what would the family have looked like? Yeah. And what damage could we have avoided? And so I just, for me, I made the choice to be very mindful of alcohol. I just think when you have to always try and see, and this is this is this like I think was my superpower being raised as a child of an alcoholic, I am deeply sensitive to what my children are perceiving the world to be. Mm-hmm. And when they would talk to me, like my son Campbell did when he was, I think he was just like five, and he said, Mom, I wish you didn't have a temper. <laughs> and it was from that moment that I started trying to mitigate that. Yeah, And you just, they know what they need, and they'll tell yeah. you. And I think that's... The part that had to have therapy for me is being a child that I don't know was always heard about being in pain about what was going on around me. Well, and I think so much of grief is is the loss of the idea of what you thought your life was going to look like. Ooh, yeah. And I just think that sometimes we look at grief as just this thing of this loss of this person. Right. Or... I miss that person and that's what grief is. And it and this is why grief stays with you and why it is why you can feel grief about losing a job or about ending any kind of relationship or just there's or even leaving a home, right. leaving a house. Right. All those things that you can feel grief about is because you have this idea of what you think your life is going to look like. And for you, I think that's so much of what so many of us want, which is I'm going to have children and they're going to know their grandparents. I mean, what an amazing thing. And then why grief comes back in waves, I think, is because you just every time it's a reminder of what you don't have. I mean, it could be as simple as just hearing a song that your dad liked and then realizing you're never going to share that. He's not going to share that with your kids. They're right. not going to know that. Right. And then I think there's something about as you hit that age where you start to lose the people who knew you since you were a baby. Yeah. There's something interesting about that. And I mean, I think that's with the loss of your uncle. And as you just spent this time with uh, the aunts and uncles and Ian's mom, and there are a few people in the world who were excited for your arrival. You know, right. I think about this right now because right. both of my sisters are pregnant yeah. and we're excited for the two arrivals. And I can, you know, when I talk with my aunts and uncles and they talk about being excited for me to be born, I mean, oh. how fun is that? There's, there are not that many people in life. You've got your parents and then you have those kind of aunts and uncles, maybe some close friends who were really looking forward to you entering the world, just specifically you. Yeah. <laughs> and no, it's and true. there's sort of, there's a comfort in knowing you sort of know your place in the world because those people exist because right. they're around. And I think that grief of losing people like that in your life is a feeling of sort of, gosh, I mean, you, you can feel like an orphan at any age, 
if you don't have that connection to your previous generation anymore. I think that's I think that's very true. And I think when I think about not having been in relationship with him for so many years, the selfish aspect of that, and I do grapple with this a little bit because my sons are 28 and 26, and they would have loved my father. They would have yeah. loved his sense of humor. And I think in some ways my estrangement meant they were estranged, and that mm-hmm. was not their choice. Right. And so I did not give them a chance to have a relationship apart from my relationship with my father. And they have expressed disappointment in that. But at the same time, I still feel like for our family, I did the right thing. Right. But I, I don't really know. I don't really know. But but I know for, for me, that's what I had to do. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, Elizabeth. You are brave, Marjorie Punnett. You are brave. Yeah. And I know this has been a hard few weeks and we do want to thank all the nesters who reached out and said where's our favorite podcast where is it we missed a week and and this I think explains that little missing piece that Marjorie needed uh, some time to to go through these family uh, situations and just have some time to grieve and have some time to get your thoughts together and we just I really appreciate you sharing this with everybody Marjorie because I think this is a kind of grief that people aren't really talking about and And it's complicated. It's complicated. And I think, you know, I was doing a little bit of research on it just for my own to try and get my head straight. And it was interesting that estrangement, that word, gets associated with a certain amount of shame. And I Mm -hmm. think that's why people don't talk about it. And I will tell you one more thing that I did learn in all of this. I have a dear, a very, very dear friend at work uh, named Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. And I came (laughs) into work after my father had passed away and... On my desk, he had put this beautiful loaf of cheddar. I think it was cheddar and dill. Could that be right? Cheddar, dill, bread. So a That's totally possible. And now I immediately already love Tom because he solves problems with carbohydrates. (laughs) (laughs) And And cheese. (laughs) Cheese. And he put it on my desk and I walked in. And of course, when somebody leaves you a baked good, you just can't help but smile. And I walked in and he came to my office at the end of the day and I said, Tom, this is just the sweetest thing. And he said, you know, I grew up in a religious house. And he said, and I'm German. When there's a death, we bake. And I just thought (laughs) I love that. I love that. Oh, gosh. Just know that baked goods help. They really do. They do help. They really do. Carbs and cheese always help. (laughs) That can be a mantra here. Yes. Oh, Marjorie, thank you so much yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts from E.H. Kramer. I absolutely love your podcast and I'm almost finished listening to all of them. My kids are now at school all day and I love listening to you ladies while I work around my nest and walking my dog. I always learn something new and feel like we are best friends. Thanks for bringing such joy to my nest. Can I just say to E.H. Kramer, you are in the golden time, my friend. The golden <laughs> time. That's right. You soak it up, sister. You love every second of it. This is wonderful news. Thanks for being part of the conversation. <laughs> That's right. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. <laughs> <laughs>